Burham. This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour open-line talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. To express your viewpoint, please call 804-754-1988. That's 804-754-1988. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer. I have a question for you as we launch into the program here today. Since we are in what is known as the Christmas season, the season in which we remember, celebrate the birth of Christ. So here's the question. What is his name? What is his name? Well, in the book of Matthew, we find that uh, Joseph and Mary were told his name shall be called Jesus or Yeshua, for he shall save his people from their sin. Then we're also told that his name was Emmanuel, meaning God with us. Then Isaiah, in Isaiah 9, 6, and 7 says, His name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. He's also begun to call the King upon the throne of David to order it and to establish his kingdom forever and ever. So what is his name? Well, interestingly, in the book of Jeremiah, we're told his name is the Lord, our righteousness. The Lord, our righteousness, which actually takes the name of the Lord directly into our own lives and tells us something about how we enter into his gates, not just with thanksgiving, but with righteousness. Today on Viewpoint, we're going to talk about how we enter the realms beyond the gate. A gate is a very interesting thing. Some gates are very simple. Some gates are actually broken down. Doesn't take much to get through that gate. Other gates are very complex, very ornate. Some gates are locked. Some gates just swing on their hinges. Some gates are electronically operated. But there is a gate, there is a gate that leads into eternal life. And Jesus said that gate is very straight. Now that doesn't mean it's not crooked, it just means that it's not all that wide and not that easy to pass through. It's a straight gate. And he said narrow is the way, and precious few there will be that find it. So the question today before us, the threshold question is, how do you enter that gate? And then the question even more important beyond that is, what are the realms beyond the gate? Our guest today from Arkansas says that there are seven principles that govern God's kingdom beyond the gate. His name is Dr. Bill Means. He's joining us here from Arkansas with his book that says we can discover secrets about the kingdom of God, and I do believe him. Bill, it's good to have you on the program. Thank you. It's an honor to be here today. Well, uh, you know, they say, can anything good come out of Bethlehem, or can anything good come out of Nazareth? Can anything good come out of Arkansas? 
every now and then we we do okay. <laughs> well, I'm glad that you're coming. Well, you're still there, so uh, bless you for being there as a uh, demonstration of the light of the gospel there. You talk in your book about a secret. You talk about uh, something that is so fundamental, something that is shall we say, an entryway into the kingdom of God, not just into the threshold of the kingdom, but what, how we enter into those promises and the fullness of what God intends beyond just thro- crossing the threshold of that gate. And you call it the secret of the Lord. What in the world do you mean by that? Wow. Wow. That is that is really a great revelation once you get it. And well, you I know why I know so much book. about that? Why? Perhaps you didn't know, but I have in my hands a book called The Secret of the Lord that I wrote about eight years ago based upon Psalm twenty five fourteen. The secret of the Lord is with them who fear him, and to them he will manifest or reveal his covenant. Sounds like we're on the same page. It is. Isn't it awesome? <laughs> sure is. So what is the secret of the Lord anyway? Well, the secret of the Lord is that what I call the love seat. Uh, when I when I looked up all the words and definitions and, and meditated, you know, it, it's talking uh, in the Hebrew there about a like a couch. Uh, it actually uses the word divan. That's what my grandmother used to call the couch. And uh, well, That's what you guys it, use in, down there in Arkansas, right? That's right, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Grandma would say, "Keep your feet off my off my divan," you know. Mm. <laughs> but uh, that's a place that you can go, and you can sit down right there beside the Lord, and it's a most awesome place. But well, it's a place you got to want to be. Well, how are you going to sit beside the Lord if you don't feel like and you don't sense that you're walking in righteousness and in holiness, where the Scripture says that without holiness, no man shall even see the Lord. Well, once you go through uh, those seven principles, you won't be that way anymore. Once you've meditated that and you understand who you are in Christ and you understand what imputed righteousness really is and you Mm -hmm. understand the the legal part of that. Now, you could probably speak to that and understand what I'm saying. There's a legal side to all of this that makes it work, but most people don't understand that. Well, a lot of people would say, you know what? Uh, I got the legal side of it, and I'm happy with that. Uh, I want to get on with my life. I'm not interested in sitting on that couch with Jesus. I got some friends out there. I've got fish to fry, berries to pick. I want to do my own thing. But thank you very much for allowing me to get into the pearly gates. How do you respond? Well, you're going to be really, really disappointed, I think. Now, since I haven't been there yet, I don't really know. But I know that uh, what the Word says is that you know, uh, works don't get you to heaven, but you're going to be judged by them. Mm. And I believe that every man and woman is uh, created with a call for a purpose. And and I believe, you know, we need to answer the call. We need to do something. Uh, and our problem is the church, for the most part, seems to me, they get through the gate. They mm-hmm. make it through that straight gate and sit down. And many never move forward from that point. Well, I'm not convinced that uh, as many are making it through the straight gate as perhaps you're letting on, because the gate is very straight. And Jesus said, not everyone who 
calls my name is going to enter in, but he that does the will of my Father. In other words, he that obeys my voice and uh, follows my will. And the interesting thing is, Bill, that uh, over the past 15 years, the word obey has become the most despised word in the church. Absolutely. The, the church agree with that? so watered down. Oh, yes, yes. Uh, we're going to do it our way. That's the problem with the 21st century. In other words, you know, we've been uh, singing Frank Sinatra's song, I'll Do It My Way, right there in God's that's house. Right. That's right. Mm. That's exactly what's been happening. A fellow that you, you've probably heard of before, I think, Charles Finney. Oh, no, what? wait a minute, wait a minute. You're not using my name in vain, but what you did not know is that my father did his doctoral thesis on Charles Finney, and uh, boy, did that guy ever get America by the jugular, particularly in Rochester, New York. Maybe we should talk Mm -hmm. a little bit more about him when we get back. Stay tuned, friends. The book, Realms Beyond the Gate. Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once great America, virginity and chastity were popular virtues, and homosexuality was an abomination. So what happened in just one generation? Hi, I'm Chuck Chris Meyer, and I urge you to join me daily on Viewpoint, where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes. Could America's moral slide relate to the Fourth Commandment? Listen to Viewpoint on this radio station or anytime at saveus.org. After we enter the straight gate, we're said to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all the other things in life would be added unto us. But what does that mean, to seek first the kingdom of God? If we're just crossing the threshold of the straight gate, now what? That seems to be an unanswered question in many spheres throughout our country today, uh, even throughout Central Europe now. It just seems amazing that we have lost sight of the straight gate and its implications for our lives. Our special guest today, Dr. Bill Means, with his book, Realms Beyond the Gate, Seven Principles That Govern God's Kingdom. And I want to make it available to you for your gift of uh, $15 to Save America Ministries. It's on our website, saveus.org. That's saveus.org. You can give us a call at 1-800-SAVE-USA. 1-800-SAVE-USA or write to us at Save America Ministries, P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. Writing a check at $5 for postage and handling. We'll get the book in your hands. But until then, we want to flesh out these seven principles that govern God's kingdom. At least we're going to give a, uh, a synopsis of those. But before the break, uh, Bill, you were talking, making reference to Charles Finney back in the, the early to mid-1800s. Why? Well, because we were talking about the condition of the church today. And uh, I read an article where it was talking about someone had uh, was uh, interviewing Charles Finney mm-hmm. and asked him about the condition of the church. And he made the statement that he didn't believe that even half the people that are going to church today on a regular basis, were even born again. Well, that was in and, the that was in the early to mid eighteen hundreds. Mm-hmm. Just think what he would so say it, today. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And the the reporter asked him, "Well, why would you say that?" And he said, "Simply because a born again child of God, the Holy Spirit would not allow to live in blatant sin as many do today." 
Now, I, I kind of believe we can compare that with the 21st century. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, you know, we see all kinds of things in church, all kinds of compromise, uh, watered-down preaching. I don't want to, you know, get into the negative side of everything, but we've got to get back to the Bible. We've got to get back to God as he really is. Mm-hmm. We've got to get back to Jesus and his, his call uh, when he says only those that obey the Father are going to enter the kingdom of God. So you may think you get through the straight gate by the skin of your chinny-chin-chin, so to speak, but you're not going to go mm-hmm. anywhere because Jesus said the rest of it's going to require O-B-E-Y. Yes, yes. And there's much to do, you know. Yeah. Uh, everybody seems to want to make a big deal out of out of the fivefold ministry, which is, a, a, you know, important. The apostle, prophet, evangelist, uh, pastor, teacher. Mm-hmm. But their job, remember what Paul said, was to equip the church or equip the saints. To do the, the work, work of the ministry. But the saints are sitting on the pew. Yeah. Well, that's because we've hired guns. We have hired gun ministers uh, that somehow have been led to believe that they're the ones who are supposed to do the work of the ministry, and the rest are just supposed to support them in doing the work of the ministry, whereas, in fact, the work of the ministry is to be done by the saints as they uh, leave the back door of the church or the tabernacle or the house, mm-hmm. or wherever it is they're worshiping. Okay. That's right. Now, your first chapter is called The Journey Begins, and we've been talking about that. But after you, as you're beginning this journey, the Apostle Paul says something I think is very, very important. He says, we must press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And in order to do that, we have to forget the things that are behind. Now, first of all, what does it mean to forget the things that are behind? And then what does it mean to press toward the mark? Well, the moment you are born again, Paul says you have been crucified with Christ and you no longer live, and you are a new creation. In other words, you're a a dead man. Yes, your old man is dead, and Mm. you have a new man now. So if my old man is dead, Bill, why is it that the lust of the flesh continues to uh, precipitate and 70% of professing (laughs) Christian men attest to being involved with pornography, and 34% of their pastors the same. Well, because you still have to overcome the flesh. Uh, I, You know, the uh, Bible says you work out your salvation. In fear and trembling. And, yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Some people would say, well, that's a gospel of works. If you're supposed to work out your salvation in fear and trembling, what say you? You still, you still have to be obedient. In other words, you have to be a doer of the word and not just a hearer. That's that's right. Okay, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're doing I mean, a little it, tandem it, thing here because yeah. we are on the same page in terms of advancing the kingdom of God. We're told to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Now, one of the problems that I think. Uh, it's a misunderstanding in the teaching of the word, and that is this uh, concept of righteousness. It seems that righteousness is something from a legal standpoint that is imputed to us by Jesus' obedience. 
because we have no person other than Jesus was ever perfectly obedient to the Father. So he had to be obedient, and he learned, the Bible says that he learned uh, uh, obedience through the things that he suffered. The book of Hebrews tells us that. So Jesus became obedient so that in spite of our inability to fulfill the absolute requirement of obedience, his righteousness then becomes imputed to us. But here's what a lot of people think. Well, that means I'm free now to do whatever I want. I'm righteous. Yet it seems to me that we're called to live righteously in this life. How do you respond to that? Well, just because Jesus imputed his righteousness to a man does not make him morally righteous. But when God looks at him, it's as though he had done what was necessary to uh, achieve that righteousness. But he has credit for it, but he still has to obey the law. He still Mm. has to obey God. He still has to be uh, morally upright. He still has to uh, follow God's commandments. Otherwise, we become lawless, don't we? Yes, yes. But uh, you, you have a part to play. It's not just all, all of a sudden you become perfect. So in other That's, words, you can't, learn, you can't earn your salvation by being good or being moral, but neither are you going to enter into the kingdom of God on Christ's merit if you refuse to live morally and lawfully in this life. That's correct. You, hmm. you have to do your part. All right. Now, covenant. You talk a great deal in your book about covenant, about the language of covenant, and it would be very easy for us to uh, get lost in the weeds, so to speak, with regard to too much discussion about covenant. And yet, the very uh, counsel of God from the beginning to the end is based on the understanding of covenant, isn't it? Yes, that's that's the, the source of, of the, the kingdom. It's the source of all the benefits, rights, privileges that, that you get as a born-again child of God. Right. So what is there, there are a number of covenants in the Scripture. There's the covenant that God made with Noah. There's a covenant that God made with uh, uh, Abraham, a covenant that God made with David. Uh, what covenant are we talking about here? Well, they're all the same covenant. Uh, they're all extensions for- of the same uh, spirit of yes. covenant, aren't they? Yes. Yeah, sure. Okay. So the seal of the covenant with Abraham was circumcision. What's the seal of the covenant today? Is it still circumcision? No, it's the blood of Jesus. Uh, when uh, the, you call it the seal, I call it the token or the mm-hmm. memorial. Sure. Uh, the memorial we have with Jesus is the cross and the risen Savior. So when we read in the New Testament about a new covenant, does that mean that everything in the Old Testament, the Torah, the Tanakh, has been done away with? No, it says that it was set aside, but that doesn't mean that you just throw it away. Uh, Jesus right, well, what part of it is set aside? Well, 
it's when I say set aside, it, it, what I'm saying is that the new covenant it in entails all of that because uh, everything in the old covenant was about obeying God. There's there's really nothing there that's in the old testament that's not in the new testament. Okay, that's why uh, you know, except for the the sacrifices and that sort of thing. Okay, so, that so that's about. really where the new covenant comes in because now all of those sacrifices for the expiation of our sin is no longer required. Maybe that's why the temple was destroyed. What do you think? Well, it could be. We don't need it. Yeah. But they, they're intent on building it back. But well, the reason they're intent on building it back is because they rejected, they didn't walk through the straight gate yet. That's right. They, they refused to accept Jesus. Messiah, Yeshua, as Messiah. And therefore, they're stem, still bound under the law, and the great expectation is to be able to fulfill the requirements of the law, which require sacrifices for atonement. And they can't yeah. do that, according to the Torah, without the temple. Therefore, yeah. a rebuilt temple is required, isn't it? Yes, that's right. Okay. But that's not the fulfillment of God's intent, though, is it? No, no, he's, uh, Jesus fulfilled the, the, the covenant. That's what people don't understand, is that, you know, on the, that night of the Passover, Jesus established the new covenant. It was established then. And the apostles all knew, or the disciples at that time, all knew exactly what he was doing. They knew that's what it was. But then he had to go and, and die on the cross to complete the old covenant, or to fulfill the old covenant, in that if you break the covenant, you die. So that's well, why he was able to cry out from the cross at the very end, it is finished. That's right. At the left side, it is finished. Paid in full. And when he did that, that, that fulfilled the old covenant. The old covenant had been redeemed at that point, because without the redemption, Without the shedding of blood, there's no redemption of sin. So when Jesus so spoke in the uh, Beatitudes or in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, I came not to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. What he was really saying is, look, I didn't come to do away with the law, but to give full meaning to it. Well, yes, it had to be completed. The covenant is always fulfilled. One way or another, it's going to be fulfilled. And that's why people don't understand uh, covenant and the, the power and the, the weight and authority of it. It will be fulfilled one way or another, whether you want to cooperate with it or not. So you, what you're saying in, in this small book is this is a big deal to discover the realms beyond the gate. As you enter the gate, there's something far more that needs to be uncovered, needs to be discovered. The secret of the Lord is with them who fear him. And uh, there are seven principles, you say, that govern God's kingdom. And uh, so from your perspective, this is a very big deal then. It is a big deal. These seven principles uh, lead you into, not only into the kingdom, but teaches you how to walk upright in that kingdom and, and how to uh, respond to the king of the kingdom. Okay. Now, I love what you're talking about here, about the king and the kingdom. The interesting thing to me is people talk about the kingdom of God. In fact, when you hear uh, Matthew 6, 33 quoted, usually it says, seek first the kingdom of God, and it's left there. The rest of it is not spoken, but it says, 
that, uh, and his righteousness. We don't want to seek his righteousness, but we want to see the kingdom of God. All right. If there is a king, a kingdom, there has to be a king, right? That's correct. And in order to be a king, you have to have subjects, don't you? Yes, sir. Okay. Now, those subjects have to be subject to you, don't they? Yes. And how would you know if the subjects were subject to you if you were the king? Through their obedience. Exactly. Through their obedience. Therefore, if we don't obey the one we call king, Jesus, Yeshua, the Lord of the church, Yeshua HaMashiach, the Messiah, if we don't obey him, we by definition are not his subjects, right? That's right. And if we're not his subjects, he's not our king. That's right. Ah. That's right. These kinds of things are not thought through generally, but we're going to think through them a little bit more as we go on with our discussion with Dr. Bill Mead. Stay tuned. There is so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, on the front page are two great videos. First, an interview and discussion of Chuck's book, Out of Egypt. Also, a great TV interview with Chuck regarding his book, Seduction of the Saints. Much more videos, a for pastors only section, and also you can view Chuck's weekly teachings. All at his website, saveus.org. That's saveus.org. Also on Chuck's website, listen to Chuck's Viewpoint broadcast. Listen to the archives. Maybe you missed a program. Check it out at saveus.org. Also, there are some great resources, hospitality information, also information about marriage, divorce, and remarriage, newsletters, articles, prophecy, prayer and revival information, all at saveus.org. Welcome back to Viewpoint. I'm Chuck Chrismeyer. Today we're having a lively conversation with Dr. Bill Means concerning not only entering into the straight gate, the coming into a relationship with the Lord, being born again, but what lies ahead? What are responsibilities beyond that? What are the principles that govern God's kingdom? Now, Bill, one of the things that came to my mind during the break is that there were three wise guys, I mean wise men, that uh, at least we say there were three because they had three gifts, that came to Jerusalem looking for he that was born king of the Jews. That's what they said. Where is he who is born king of the Jews? For we've seen his star in the east have come to worship him. Well, when Herod heard that, what was his response? Well, when he first heard it, he, he you know, he, uh, you know, gathered the, the scribes up and found out where they could go look. But he said, you be sure and come back and tell me. Well, why was so that? So I could go worship, but that wasn't his plan. Why? Yeah, but his reason was because he felt politically threatened, right? Exactly. Because he was the king. And there ain't going to mm-hmm. be any king that's going to supersede my kingdom, <laughs> and we'll get rid of him real quick. And that's, that's what right. happened, that's what isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, he executed tried. all the two-year-old babies there in Bethlehem. And uh, that had been foretold even by the prophets earlier. So yeah. here it was the battle of kings. One king, Herod, 
and the other king a baby because he was born king. Now, how are we to understand that, born king? Does that mean we're supposed to keep him lying in a manger and bow down and worship him as baby Jesus? No, no. He just, <laughs> no, he, he grew up and became the king. Uh, he, he's still the king. He's still alive. He's, he was born king. Yes. All right. That's he was born he king, and therefore the only way his kingship would be manifested is if he had subjects who obeyed him. That's right. Yes. Therefore, the religious leaders of his day could not possibly have been his subjects unless they yielded to his kingship, recognized it, and were willing to obey him. That's that's right. And and the, the religious crowd didn't do that. Well, the religious crowd isn't doing much of that today, is it? No, no. Not really. So we're pretty much just like the uh, Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees back there in Jesus' day. Yeah, we we still want to do it our way. Uh, (laughs) You can't do it your way. Some things never change, do they? No. But there's one thing I want to say that people need to understand. Mm -hmm. God's laws and principles, uh, you know, and ordinances, are not so that he can rule over everything. They, if you look at them, they, they are laws and principles that if you follow and practice, will lead you into a good life here on this earth. In other words, it's you'll be for blessed. your benefit and, and, and well-being. That's exactly what Deuteronomy 28 said. The blessings and the curses. Blessed shall you be when you walk by the way. Blessed shall you be when you go in and go out. Blessed shall be your basket and your store and so on. That's what God intends. But we have to walk under his authority, meaning conforming to his word, his will, and his ways, not just in the things that we like, but in the things that he likes. That's right. We've got to do it his way. He's he's a family man. He, He wants the family intact. He wants people having good lives. He wants you prosperous. He wants you healthy. He wants you sharp and, and doing well. He doesn't want you to be sick and and uh, poor. He doesn't want any of that. But So therefore, if you simply follow his lead and do it his way, you're going to have a much better life. It's not about being under his thumb and, and him punishing you. It's about simply loving him and obeying him. All right. Now, we have to move from here. We've established this foundation over and over again that uh, entering the straight gate requires humility and confession of sin, repentance, and a willingness to die to ourselves, to our flesh, so that we can be raised up in his kingdom to eternal life. Now what happens? What are we to do other than simply obey his commandments and so on? What are we to do? Well, we go ahead. Okay. <laughs> well, I was going to uh you start seeking the face of God. You start seeking what what he wants you to do. Every man and woman has a call on their life. You need to start seeking that. You need to be in the word. You need to learn the word. You need to get it down in your heart. And as you truly 
uh, with intent try to learn the word of God, God will recognize that and begin to lead you in the path that he's wanting you to go. Isn't that if, why he sent his Holy Spirit? Yes. He, he will lead you into all truth. He'll lead you in the path that you need to go for your own prosperity and well-being. Would it be fair to say then, Bill, that uh, uh, just as uh, Esther's uncle, Mordecai, said, who knows but what you are called to the kingdom for such a time as this, that those words could be said by Mordecai or us today to everyone who is listening? Absolutely. We all have a place and a part to play. No one is left out of that. And this is part of being his, uh, part of being in his kingdom, isn't it? Of course it is. Yeah. That's what king subjects do. They support the king. They obey and, and do what uh, whatever he's assigned them to do. Isn't it interesting that today uh, we're told and led to believe by statistics, by studies and so on, uh, all kinds of research over the past 25 years, that as the world looks on in America at the church, it's finding relatively little difference separating the church from the rest of the world. Why is that? Well, compromise. Uh, you know, I remember years ago. Wait, wait a minute. You said we're compromising? That means we're compromising with another king. Yes, absolutely. Oh, what well, do you call that? What do you call that when you're serving two masters politically? Well, you might call it backsliding. You might call it treason. Uh, well, that's that's a good word. <laughs> yeah, that's What's the penalty for that's treason? Death. Oh, death maybe death. that's the reason why the Scripture says that the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life, because if we're not in alignment with his righteousness, we're walking in sin, which is unacceptable before God, a holy God, and the penalty ain't pretty. That's right. Anytime you, you break the covenant, the penalty for breaking the covenant, which is disobeying God, is death. Mm. mm mm you know, so there's some things that are coming out just in a simple conversation here that might be a little troubling to some folk. But that's rightly so, because that's the whole purpose of the Bible, to trouble us in our spirits so that we will repent, we'll conform our word, our will, and our ways to the ways of the Lord through the straight gate, right? That's right. And it shouldn't be troubling to anyone if we had been over the last hundred years, preaching the truth and telling the whole truth of the Bible. You got that right, brother. Now, when Jesus began his ministry, he began it by taking a little journey to the Jordan River. And what happened at the Jordan River? Well, he got baptized. How was Is he baptized? I'm sorry, what did you say? How was he baptized? John baptized him in, 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 the, in the river. In the river, in the water of the That's, Jordan River. That's right. Uh -huh. And then, then he was baptized by the Holy Spirit. No, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Let's get this straight. Jesus was baptized in water. Then 
he also was baptized by the Holy Spirit. I thought he was God. If he was God, then why did he have to be baptized in water and then baptized with the Holy Spirit? Because his time on earth was as a man, not as God. He he laid down his deity mm-hmm. when he came to the earth. It was to fulfill all righteousness, wasn't God. it? That's right. Yeah. Okay. So if Jesus had to be baptized with water as a demonstration of his submission to the Father and his rulership, why then did he have to be baptized with the Holy Spirit? That was a different thing. He had to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. Jesus never, uh, that we know of, did any miracles whatsoever until he was baptized in the Holy Spirit. That's correct. And he had had to be uh, uh, endued with power to go into the desert uh, to be tempted. Right. In the book of Luke, Jesus said to his disciples just before his crucifixion, you wait here in Jerusalem. Don't do anything. You wait here in Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high, until the promise of the Father is given you. What was he talking about? Well, he's talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. John had told him about that before. You mean they had walked with Jesus for three and a half years, and they had not received the baptism of the Holy Spirit yet? The, The Holy Spirit had not been given and would not be given until Jesus went back to heaven. Hmm. So they could not, from Jesus' viewpoint, they were not permitted to go out and conduct an evangelistic campaign. They were not permitted to start a seminary. They were not permitted to do anything in the name of the Father or in Jesus' name unless and until they received the promise of the Father and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's exactly what Jesus said. All right, when we get back, we'll find out Why is that? And how does that apply for today? Friends, we're talking about realms beyond the gate of entering into the kingdom. What are these things that govern God's kingdom? Are we really walking in them? Maybe there's a reason why things aren't happening the way they should be. We'll be back. Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Many people are developing a heart longing for greater fulfillment in our practices as Christians. A recent study showed 53,000 people a week are leaving the back door of America's churches in frustration. What is going on? Why has there not been even a 1% gain among followers of Christ in the last 25 years? Could it be that God is seeking to restore first century Christianity for the 21st century? Jesus said, I'll build my church. Is Christ by his spirit stirring to prepare the church for the 21st century? The early church prayed together and broke bread from house to house. They were family, and it was said by all who observed, behold how they love one another. Incredible. But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click Sell Church. We're talking today with Dr. Bill Means concerning his book, Realms Beyond the Gate. Uh, Principles That Govern God's Kingdom. Uh, The book is available to you for your gift of $15 uh, to Save America Ministries. It's on our website, saveus.org. 
saveus.org. You can call us at 1-800-SAVE-USA or write to us. Now, uh, Bill, uh, there are three ways in which the uh, baptism of the Holy Spirit is manifested uh, in our lives and through our lives. Uh, You name those in your book. One is dunamis, another was exousia, and the other is kratos. So would you describe those three for us? Dunamis is a Greek word meaning power, Mm -hmm. uh, supernatural power. Exousia is authority. uh, Well, exousia is authority. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's spiritual authority. Right. Uh, and uh, the other one is, uh, I call it Kratos. What did you call it? Kratos is fine. Okay. It's not anyway. a cracker. No, no, it's not a cracker. <laughs> <laughs> but that, that is dominion. All right. And, uh, of course, there's many scriptures that uh, describe uh, dominion, you know, mm-hmm. uh God gave us dominion over the earth, right? And uh, exousia. Jesus, when he performed miracles, did it with dunamis and exousia. Yes. So uh, you apply all three at different times, depending on the circumstance. Isn't it interesting that the people, in listening to Jesus, made this statement? He spoke as one with authority, and not as the scribes. They spoke informationally. He spoke transformationally. That's what made the difference. Yes, that's that's right. Mm. Uh, he he didn't doubt anything. He had perfect faith. We try to have perfect faith, but if if you seek the Lord enough and you pray in tongues and you uh, go after God with everything in your heart, you'll start seeing the dunamis and exodia work in your ministry. Well, a lot of people would say, uh-oh, now you spoke something that really troubles me. You use the term speaking in <laughs> tongues. And, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, we all have, most of us have tongues. And most of us speak yeah. with those tongues, but we don't speak in tongues as the Scripture describes. So the interesting thing is, in light of time here, every time, please understand this, friends, every single time, The Bible says in the New Testament that they spoke with tongues. Every time it's associated with the receiving of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Or you might say every time the Bible says they were baptized with the Holy Spirit, it also says, and they spoke with other tongues. Except for one place. There's only one place in the New Testament it doesn't specifically say that. But what it does say is that those around saw something so powerful that they offered money to get it. And the great apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians, he said, look, I speak with tongues more than you all. That's right. Obviously, there's nothing offensive in and of itself about speaking with tongues. The Bible says speaking with tongues is speaking to God in an unknown language. It's not speaking to man. The unfortunate thing is that many in the charismatic world use it as a means to try to display their own spiritual prowess in public. Mm -hmm. And that is where a lot of the problem comes in. So with that having been said, uh, our listeners need to know that yours truly here was raised in several different denominations, 
all of which not only did not embrace the baptism of the Holy Spirit with speaking in tongues, but actually spoke against it. Can you imagine then my surprise when years and years and years later I discovered that that's not what the Bible says at all? Boy, was that a hard pill to swallow, to really agree with what the Bible said. And then, when that happened, an amazing thing took place in my life. And if it were not for that amazing thing that took place, I wouldn't be before you here on the air today for the past 26 years. It would have been impossible to do what I do without that. You can think about the meaning of that. Now, you talk about the patience of of Jesus Christ. This is an interesting word, the word patience. There isn't a person on a lie that really likes that word, is there? No, no, I don't think so. Nobody really wants to be patient with anything. Well, we do want uh, it, but we want it immediately. Yeah, right now. Yeah. Immediate gratification. So what's the purpose of patience? Well, in the context of uh, John, uh, first, let's see, Revelations uh, one nine, it's not the word patience at all. Uh, now that word patience, uh, well, what what the Bible says there is, I John, who also am your brother and companion, in in uh, uh, what's the word? <laughs> I just lost it. Tribulation. Mm-hmm. In, in tribulation and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ. Well, the patience of Jesus Christ there, maybe in, the, in 1611, that word patience meant that. But it's not patience in the 21st century. And, uh, you well, know, what is it I, then? Well, it, the definition the Holy Spirit gave me for patience, or that word, it's the Greek word, tupomone, is having the audacity to take God at his word. Oh, and the now wait a minute. Stand in it. Audacity it. to take God at his word? Yeah. I think that's a great understanding. In other words, what God is really after is that we trust him. That's right. That's what he really wants. Yes. It's not so much really about audacity. It's about submission and saying, hey, he's God his word is true, and that's why he exalted his word above his own name, and therefore I can trust him, and he's going to give me time to learn how to trust him, and that's called testing. True, yeah. All right. Ah. But the, the other half, there's another half to that. Which it's, is? Uh, uh, having the audacity to take God's word and the tenacity to stand in it until it manifests. So when James, the brother of Jesus, said, let patience have its perfect work, that you might be perfect and entire lacking in nothing, that's what he meant. Yeah, when you put that uh, definition, uh, you apply it there, the word patience makes sense. Otherwise, it never made any sense to me. Mm-hmm. In another place, uh, Jesus said, he that endures to the end shall be saved. Matthew chapter 24 Right there in the context of his end-time discourse to his apostles, he says, he that endures to the end shall be saved. 
Other people yes, will say, well, true. that doesn't really mean that. What do you think that means? I believe it means what it says. It's, it's endure, there's the word hopefully. He that endures, he that stands, mm-hmm. he that believes God. He that persists, uh, he know. that trusts, he that has mm-hmm. the audacity to trust God, come what may, he that will press right. on notwithstanding what trials and tribulations bring. That's mm-hmm. the patience of the saints, isn't it? Right. Luke twenty-one nineteen. He, Jesus also said, in your patience possess ye your soul. Well, how does that work if you don't know the definition of hupomone? And again, it's in your patience or in your audacity to take him at his word and the tenacity to stand in it till it manifests. That's how you possess yourself. That's how you walk out this walk that you've got to walk. As Paul said, run your, uh, run your course and race. You've got to do that with patience. Because you might get tired. You might get weary. You might be tempted not to trust God and revert to your old ways. You might be tempted to trust the butcher, the baker, the candlestick maker. You might be trusted to trust the President of the United States or the Antichrist coming into the world to save you from the the economic destruction that's coming upon the earth. I don't think we have a clue what it means to walk in patience and endurance, do we? Not in its fullness, no. But if you begin now, endeavoring to do so, maybe when it comes down to the critical time, you'll be able to do it. Exactly. Therefore, First Peter 1, seven says that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold, perishes, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. There is no such thing as a testimony without a test, is there? That's right. The greater the test, the greater the testimony. Therefore, the more that God may be planning on using you, the greater you can expect the tests to be. Is that reasonable? Absolutely. Yes, and, and you will find, especially for ministers, the greatest test comes before the next promotion. <laughs> you mean it am I going to tell come. the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help me God? Yes. And you will be tested unreal if if God is about to move you into something much bigger than where you are now. Absolutely. And every, everybody keeps wanting to ask God, give me more, give me more. Well, you better be able to handle the test. Hebrews uh, 10.36 is, a, to me, it's a, it's a very, very important scripture right now in our times. Uh, For you have need of patience, that after you have done the will of God, you might receive the promise. After you've done the will of God. This is the walk of the kingdom, isn't it? Right. But what, what is it saying? Without the patience, you may not do it. Exactly. Without that audacity to stand and the testing yeah without the test you don't need the audacity to stand so when the apostle paul says that we should uh in in this evil day we should stand and having done all to stand stand having our loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness and so on what he's really talking about is uh 
working out this idea of patience in trusting God. Yes, and we, we, we have to get that stubborn attitude that no matter what, we're going to stand. When we know that we know that we know, we're not going to back off, mm. and especially in these last days. That is something, a trait that you're going to have to learn and possess. You're just going to have to do it or you're liable to fail. You know, in the first century, the first three centuries, hundreds of thousands of Christians, born-again children of God, denied Christ and went back to paganism because of the severe uh, 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 torment that they were getting from the state. Mm -hmm. That's going to happen to us, and if we're not ready, if we can't handle it, we're going to fail. Isn't that what the mark of the beast is about? Of course it is, yes. No, that's what it's about, to test those that are upon the earth, whether they are going to walk in the patience of Christ, in the patience of Jesus. And isn't it interesting that in Revelation chapter 14, uh, right after the discussion concerning the mark of the beast and all of that, it says, here is the patience of the saints and those who keep the faith of Jesus. There you go. Isn't that amazing? Right there. Yes. Well, brother, uh, it's amazing such truth coming out of Arkansas here. Well, <laughs> the Holy Spirit's here too, you know. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, right, right. In spite of, well, anyway, I won't joke about that. Um, <laughs> realms Beyond the Gate, uh, Principles That Govern God's Kingdom. Here's the book, friends. $15, we'll put it in your hands. Uh, may shake you up a little bit, but may encourage you even more. And that's what we're here to do. We're here to prepare the way of the Lord for history's final hour. We're not here to say sweet nothings. We're here to strengthen you, to encourage you, to coach you on to stand and having done all to stand in the evil day. Get a copy of the book, $15, we'll put it in your hands. It's on our website, saveus.org. You can call us at 1-800-SAVE-USA or write to us at Save America Ministries. P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. Blessings to Bill Means for joining us here. And friends, become a partner with us day after day, day after day for over 26 and a half years. We've been preparing the way of the Lord, confronting the deepest issues of America's heart and hope from God's eternal perspective. God bless and be a blessing. You've been listening to Viewpoint with Chuck Grissmeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home.